Hey there, Knicks fans. How are you? It's your boy, Jonathan Macri, coming at you with a solo edition of the Knicks Film School podcast, our 51st episode. How about that? 51 of these babies in the last, I guess, three months and change? Has it really only been three and a half months? I don't know. The season seems... I don't know. It feels like it's been... um, Closer to three and a half years than three and a half months. But I guess that's what happens when you are 10 and 35. <laughs> oh boy. I have to laugh to keep from crying. So, um, yes, yeah, just me today for uh, the postgame podcast for the Knicks loss to the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, this one was not what you would call close. Um, from the get-go, the Knicks went down, I want to say it was maybe 28-8 at one point. It was it was pretty bad. They got down by 20 in the first quarter, and then uh, for the rest of the game, the lead for Oklahoma City was between 20, it never got above 24, but then it never, it never got under 14. I was tweeting with someone after the game, I was like, do I give the Knicks any credit for hanging around this one? Hanging around in like giant obnoxious air quotes. And I don't think I could give them credit because the Thunder pretty much knew by the end of the first quarter that this game was over. And um, I guess if you want to give the Knicks credit for anything, it was the fact that despite giving up 127 points and despite the fact that they did have several breakdowns, uh, the Thunder also hit... Um, quite a few more threes than they are uh, usually um, going to hit on any given night. They finished 15 of 29 from the three-point line. And while a couple of those were open, for the most part, the Knicks were you know playing good defense on those and guarding for the drive because obviously the Thunder generate most of their offense in the paint and uh, the Knicks seemed like they read their scouting report. And the Thunder just were hitting their threes. So, yes, they gave up 127 points, but um, I don't think it is quite as bad as that number makes it seem. Uh, All that is obviously putting lipstick on a pig because this is another mostly ugly game from a team that has now had a very, very, very ugly season. And we're getting to the point in the year where you really have to remind yourself uh, of a couple of things. A, you have to remind yourself what this year was all about. And it was about playing the younger players on the roster and seeing what you have in them moving forward. And you also have to remember that, and, and this has really been the thing that I've been preaching for the last few weeks as people are getting more and more agitated with David Fisdale, and look, I get it. You know, he's the coach of a team that is 10 and 35. Um, it's natural to look at him and say, you should be doing more. You should be doing a better job. And my response, generally speaking, is that they're very 
you know, deficient in terms of talent. But I think the more, I think the subtler point here and the more nuanced point to make is that this entire season, aside from playing the young players, was about evaluating everybody on this roster that even had a potential chance to be here going forward. And I think from the lineup decisions that he's made, you could kind of tell who has a chance to be here moving forward and who doesn't. For starters, we know that Courtney Lee is not in this team's plans for the long term. We know that Lance Thomas is not in this team's plans for the long term. We know that um, Ines Cantor is not in this team's plans for the long term. There was a a quote that came out after the game from Ian Begley basically saying, it wasn't a quote, it was a report saying that Ines Cantor is not happy with the fact that he's going to essentially be removed from the Knicks rotation. And he's going to let his agent handle any um, prospective discussions with Scott Perry. So, you know, I I predicted about a week ago that uh, Cantor had played his last game with the Knicks. Obviously, I was wrong because he played today thanks to uh, Luke Cornett's injury, um, which we don't know the severity of yet. But uh, I maintain that I think his his days on the Knicks are numbered. So from that perspective, we kind of know already who is not in the Knicks plans going forward. And... When people criticize Fisdale and the job that he's doing, I think most of the criticism falls on two main points. It's his lineup combinations, and it's the fact that he said going into the year that he wanted to favor passing and he wanted to favor defense. Those are the two things that he wanted to emphasize. And yet, he's been starting two guys in Tim Hardaway Jr. and Emmanuel Moutier who don't play defense, and Moutier, his passing, you know, comes and goes. Uh, It's better at times than others. Hardaway, obviously not that gift of a passer. And I think everybody's issues really comes down to the fact that those guys have had this, you know, starting backcourt job for a while now. And Fisdale's comments today made it seem like he has no plans of, of breaking up that starting combo. So then if you look at it a little bit closer, you take it one player at a time. Tim Hardaway Jr., I don't think Fisdale has the luxury of sitting. Um, I think, you know, for better or worse, Timmy has taken on the the leadership role in that locker room, and every locker room needs some semblance of a leader, even if that leader is a guy who's um, woefully overpaid and uh, deficient in several areas on the actual court. But... He's kind of taken that leadership job and he's run with it. So I don't think sitting Timmy is an option, especially when he says himself he could play through the plantar fasciitis injury. Now, you want to talk about, all right, maybe the organization or maybe the coach should be putting some pressure on Timmy to um, basically allow them to shut him down for the rest of the year. That's a different conversation and it's one that I'm not going to comment on because I don't know the interdynamics of the situation. So I'm going to assume that benching Timmy isn't an option. So really, as all things with the Knicks come back to, this comes back to a conversation about the point guards and specifically about Emmanuel Moutier and Frank Delkina. And again, people are annoyed because Moutier has gotten all these starts and he doesn't play defense. And other than a stretch where he had the Knicks offense really going in a nice flow, at his, at his leadership, now we've started to even see that subside. 
So I think it's a fair question. And I've defended Fisdale because, again, going back to the dual purposes of this season, he, they need to figure out for sure whether or not Emmanuel Moutier should be on this team going forward because I think he's going to be a cheap option this summer, and I think he's probably going to want to come back. So I don't, I don't fault them for that desire to want to know for sure. If you want to say that Moutier has already shown enough that um, you know he, he should not be given any more rope, he's already hung himself with the rope that he's been given – I'm not sure I'm there yet, but I'm getting darn close, uh, or I'm at least getting closer than I was maybe a month ago or even a couple weeks ago. Um, because today, Moutier wasn't great. Um, he looked for his own offense early because I think the Thunder, that's that's what they were giving him. And it was okay. You know, he scored some baskets early, but the offense wasn't in any kind of a flow. I think at the moment that he went out of the game, the Knicks with... You know, they were there was three minutes and change left in the first quarter. I want to say the Knicks had like twelve or fourteen points. It was it was bad. And that's at least to a certain extent on the point guard, and he did not do his job. And on the other end, he was part of a unit that just had very little urgency. And I think David Fisdale sent a message to Moutier because he brought Frank in with three minutes and change left in the first quarter, and he didn't take him out for the rest of the first half. Nilakina played the last fifteen minutes and change of the first half of this game. And you know what? When he came in, it was a 20-point game. And when it got to halftime, it was a 20-point game. So, um, And that could get us to the conversation about, for me and for a lot of people, I think the brightest spot today was Nilakina. And if you look at his stats, nothing's going to blow you away. He was 4 of 12 from the field, 1 of 3 from, from 3, um, 5 assists, and um, 9 points with 3 turnovers. But he has had a lot of trouble with these very aggressive defenses all year long. And he more than held his own on offense. Some of the shots weren't falling, but he held his own on offense against, uh, I'm pretty sure they're still the best defense in the NBA. And they were playing up on him. They were crowding him. And I don't think he let it get to him, which he has in some of these games in the past. And then on defense, you know, you have two guys in Westbrook and Paul George who all they do is attack. That's their whole offense. Like I said earlier, they don't shoot a lot of threes. They try to get you in the paint and then and then go from there. And Nilakina stood up Westbrook a couple of times. He prevented Paul George from from getting anything in a possession um, at the uh, at the end of the first quarter. It was really the level of defense from Frank that had people like me saying all of last season and for much of this year, look. That alone makes it worth playing him and and keeping him and continuing to develop him. And he had the, some of those moments throughout the game. And to his credit, David Fisdale said before the game, Frank Nielakin is a guy who you can't judge him on the defensive numbers this year because he's playing with a bunch of crappy defenders. And Fisdale didn't use those words, but the I think he said like bad defenders or, or something to that effect. Um. So good game from Frank, um, and you know if you're a, I think for a lot of people a game like this might be the perfect the perfect result in a season like this because they lost the game, which gets them closer to a good draft pick, and the only three guys who played well were three of your young core pieces. One was Frank Nilakina, and the other two were Mitchell Robinson and and um, <laughs> Isozo. I'm just going to start saying Isozo since I can't decide whether it's Trier. Um, 
like his mom said and like I've been saying all year, or Trier, like everybody else seems to think it is. So I'm just going to go Isozo. So Isozo and Mitchell Robinson both had good games. Uh, Mitchell Robinson obviously did foul out in 16 minutes. That wasn't great. But um, a couple of those fouls were, were seemed like BS calls to me. David Fisdale actually got a technical foul because he was arguing one of them. Mitchell Robinson did still have two blocks, which was nice. Six rebounds, um, finished with eight points. He was perfect from the field, four for four. A couple of those were alley-oops from uh, Zoe. And then Zoe, um, 30 minutes, 10 for 10 from the free throw line, and perhaps most impressively, eight assists. And I think they're, if they could continue to bring Zoe along and get just enough secondary playmaking out of him, and again, this was also in Fisdale's comments that Ian Bagley had before the game. He said he likes the Nilakina and, and Zoe pairing in the backcourt for that second unit because he thinks they complement each other well. Frank is obviously, you know, looking to pass. Zoe is looking to score. But if you take it the other way around and say, all right, if Trier can do just enough passing and if Frank can do just enough scoring, and then you got Mitch there to cast these lobs and to and to clean up other people's messes on defense, you have the makings of something. And as a whole, you know, the bench, you know, they didn't they didn't worsen uh, or deepen the lead today. They they held their own during the minutes that they were in there. So I think that was good. Um and I think it's definitely a reason to be excited if you're a Knicks fan that watched today. Um, the other two, uh, or three, I should say, members of the young young core, because I'm including Cornette in this in this grouping. Um, I forget if I mentioned it before. Cornette had some kind of injury. I don't know what it was. I apologize. But he didn't play after the first seven minutes. And he um, he's going to get an MRI, according to Fizz, after the game. Uh, Dotson had a, a game to forget. He was one for four from the field. Uh, did play 24 minutes, had you know a nice defensive effort um, in those minutes. And then uh, Kevin Knox had a game to forget. 27 minutes, 3 for 8 from the field uh, for 8 points. He's had now a couple rough ones in, the, in a row, but, you know, again, chalk it up to being 19 years old and trying to learn how to play in this game, uh, in this league, on a consistent basis. Um, just getting a tweet now from Ian Bagley. X-rays on Luke Cornett's left ankle were inconclusive. He will have an MRI to determine the extent of the injury, so I'm sure that'll probably be out by the time you hear this podcast. Hopefully it's not too bad because I definitely want to see Cornett uh, get minutes for this team uh, going forward. So, yeah, that's about it. I mean, there's, there's, you know, we have 37 games left to go in this thing. And... I I think it's going to be very interesting to see what happens, not only at the trade deadline, but I'm actually going to be more curious to see what happens after the trade deadline and see how minutes are allocated from here on out because I think now that we've kind of seen enough good stuff from Nilakino, despite Fisdale's comments today, I think it puts him in a really interesting spot because, again despite the fact that Nilakina is theoretically, and, and me and JB just had a whole podcast where we talked about this, even though Nilakina is theoretically the easier piece to focus on long-term, if Moutier, if they thought he was going to be the better player or could be the better player, I think it's, it would have been valid of them to continue 
really putting prime development time into him from here on out. But I, I, I think that tide, if it hasn't turned all the way yet, it's turning. So, you know, and then <laughs> if it keeps going in this direction and these starting lineups keep getting off to rough starts with Moutier at the helm, you know, then it just opens the question of, all right, well, are they, are they not effectively trying to lose games, but are they starting a, a lineup that they know is, is, is essentially going to lead to losses? And I don't believe they'll do that. I don't believe Fisdale has it in him. I don't believe Scott Perry has it in him. Um, I don't think that that anybody there has it in them to tank in the most proper sense of the word, let's just say. You know, will they, will they continue to put lineups out there that um, – there's a very there's a small chance that they will be successful together, um, but that they have a genuine interest in seeing whether or not they can be successful. Yeah, I think they might keep doing that, um, but I think that's that's as far as we'll go. So that's it. Um, the next next game is Wednesday. They play the Houston Rockets. Dear Lord, help us. Um, I just. You know, you're playing the Rockets. You just don't want to get utterly and totally embarrassed. That's the goal. We have reached the point in the season where the goal of an upcoming game is to just not get embarrassed. If they kept the Rockets' score or the the lead the Rockets are going to take to between 14 and 24 points for most of that game, I will consider it a blessing. Um, yeah, what can you do? All right, that's it for this one. Back with you on Wednesday for the post game, and uh, as always, thank you for tuning in. We'll be back with you soon. Get up.